What's up, friends? Yes. So I recently found out <laughs> that there is such a thing as a quote, hey guys, <laughs> introduction. And uh, I hopefully am avoiding that by saying, hey friends, instead. But if you go onto YouTube and you look at certain people, man, it's almost as though every single one of them or posts on Instagram or TikTok, they always start with, hey guys, what's up? Da, 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 da. And it makes me laugh because I don't know if I'm giving into it, but I hope I'm not. What's up, friends? How you doing? My name is John, and right now we're doing a series. This is uh, called Roadmaps, and the first one was pretty awesome, right? What, what was that one about? That was, uh, my goodness. Oh, right. We talked about Dante. So Dante Alighieri's epic three-part poem was actually a roadmap of how people change and grow and evolve. And then last video, or not video, last uh, podcast, we talked about the critical journey that divides the life of faith into six stages. Well, this time, this one's called the biblical journey, and I hope you enjoy it. But I do want to highlight maybe something. In the notes to this, I'm going to put uh, a card, C-A-R-R-D, and it's really like a digital business card where I put all the links into one link, and it's kind of an easier way of doing things. But on there, you'll also see there's a chance to add yourself to an email list where hopefully over the next couple months, I'm going to be unrolling a lot of newer things some new initiatives. I've been working with some people that have been just kind of giving me some coaching advice, I guess you could say, about how to do more of this type of thing more often. And I'm, I'm kind of excited for some of the plans. So go to that. But even if you don't, it's fine. I'm just going to keep doing this for free. And it's just kind of fun. This is a good way for me to make good use of my education. Because I was trained as a pastor but I kind of enjoy pushing buttons. I kind of enjoy pushing the envelope, but actually pushing the envelope with very center of the road orthodoxy, I guess you could say. But I really feel as though the ancient Christian tradition is mm, more wild and unpredictable and more relatable than we maybe realize or maybe than we've been taught. So that's what I, I really enjoy doing. And hopefully, we'll just lean into doing more of that. Okay, but this one, this one is called The Biblical Journey. So I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to talk about how the Bible is organized, and then talk about how that maybe shows how our thought life is sometimes organized on this journey. So the idea for this series was roadmaps. I'm a big fan of frameworks. And frameworks are kind of not literal roadmaps like on Google Maps or on the Waze app, but it's helpful to have frameworks that help us to organize seasons of our lives. Because it's very easy to get stuck at one season of life if you think that's the only season. But if you know that there's something next, you're more likely to get to it at all <laughs> just 
by the sheer fact that you know the next thing is coming or that there is another thing available. The next road stop on the road map, I guess you could say. The next gas station, sure. But what we're going to do is break down the Bible and then talk about how that is a good roadmap for our own spiritual growth. So whether or not you consider yourself a formal Christian or not, it doesn't matter to me because I really do think whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, you can obviously glean something from the teachings of Jesus and, of course, from the large tradition of the people that call themselves Jesus followers. So let's just do it, okay? This is where I'm anchored, so of course I'm going to speak from this vocabulary and metaphors. Let's do this. Okay. So the biblical uh, library that we really have, I guess you could say is maybe divided into five parts. So you might know the Bible according to two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some people try to be edgy and they talk about the First Testament and the Second Testament. Well, you could also just say the Hebrew Scriptures and the Greek Scriptures. There's lots of ways you could talk about it, but perhaps you know of the twofold way. But as I've said numerous times, the Bible is not a singular book. It's more of a library of documents that span so many different genres. But the main gist is that these genres kind of fall into five categories. And so that's what we're going to do right now. So in the Hebrew scriptures, we've got two categories. So I apologize. We actually have three. We have three. And it goes by this word that's spelled T-N-K, Tanakh. Because in Hebrew, they don't have original Hebrew, proto-Hebrew, doesn't have vowels. It just has consonants. And so the Hebrew scriptures are ordered by that word, Tanakh. So let's break it down. What's the T? Well, the T stands for Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Now, those three, T and K, they build off of each other, which is very cool. But the Torah is, let's say it's the, the grounding sagas and the initial rules by which somebody should live. So it, it contains, it's not myth and it's not exactly history. There's this middle category called saga. And these are just grounding stories by which Wisdom has been passed down. There's references towards people that came before us and their issues and how God spoke to and through them. So the Torah is full of a lot of these anchoring sagas and rules. That's the Torah. Now, some people translate Torah as law, but it also means way. This is the way. If you ground your life in these sagas and these rules, then you are walking in the way. That's wonderful, right? But what does N stand for? N means Nevi'im, 
which is Hebrew for prophets. Literally, it translates as those people who are out of their own minds, because prophets are never appreciated in their own day if they're true prophets. But the prophets did something really interesting. They kind of called people out for their BS. Yeah, they did. They called people out on their BS saying, hey, come on, guys. You know the sagas that we're supposed to live our lives out of. Come on, guys. You know the rules we're supposed to live out of. And then they even go so far as to say, you're living by the wrong sagas. You're living your life according to the wrong narratives, the wrong stories, or you missed what the rules were all about. And so the prophets come along and they say, you guys thought it was about the temple. You thought it was about the religion. But actually, these rules and these sagas are about love, grace, forgiveness, justice, freedom, liberation, right living. So the prophets came along and they kind of they called people out for not living into the sagas and the rules of the Torah, but then they even did one step further is they kind of took the sagas and the rules and they kind of unrolled it a little further. Or they they um they kind of updated it in a different way by bringing out some nuances that were really easily overlooked. Let's say it that way. So that's the Nevi'im. The K, though, T-N-K, K means Ketuvim, which means wisdom literature. Now, the wisdom, you could say, is about the dialogue between the Torah and the Nevi'im, the Torah and the prophets. And so the wisdom literature says, okay, we've got these sagas and these rules that tell us what life's about. The prophets come along and they say it's not really exactly about the sagas or the rituals. It's about something more than that. And then wisdom literature comes in and invites people into that conversation. The wisdom literature, the Ketuvim, that would be uh, Proverbs. It could be the book of Job. So these books are fascinating because they don't tell us the answer to our questions. They just invite us into better questions. Now that's pretty wild, right? So the Ketuvim, which also includes songs and insights and, and things, it's, it's like this wild wisdom poetry. And we don't really have literature like this today. Okay, but that's the three parts of the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. Now let's shift to the Greek New Testament, which can largely be divided into two parts. The first is the Gospels. It's obvious, right? These are the positive propaganda narratives that are trying to persuade people to understanding that Jesus is the Christ. These are not exactly biographies as we understand them today, but they are very very unique, very particular, and they're very much about this man was God or this God became man in this person of Jesus in whom 
there's a lot of things going on. And he stands, get this, on the tradition or on the foundation of the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. Okay. Lastly, the second part of the Greek New Testament can be described as the letters. And these were letters of people that were eyewitnesses or the first generation of people that followed the Jesus way. We have correspondences and letters that went back and forth and all around between cities and churches. And they're kind of, they're not exactly wisdom literature, although they kind of are. They're really, well, the word is midrash. It, it's, a, it's a conversation. It's an ongoing dialogue in these letters. When you read them, you should see them as though you're actually getting insight or you're hearing one side of a conversation. It's really a dialogue about how do people who follow in the way of Jesus, who stands on top of the way that is the law, the Torah, how are they supposed to live? And the nuances of doing that when they are the minority in the culture, when they are being oppressed and suppressed by a larger ruling empire that does not treat them well whatsoever. Now, I will say, though, that in the letters, there's the final letter, which is the book of Revelation, that we're going to talk about. But I, I want to include that in the epistles. Okay. So that's the, the five designations, I guess you could say, that span across the Hebrew Scriptures and the Greek New Testament. But why are these a helpful thing for the biblical journey? Okay. Well. Let's say you come to some sort of awareness or life-changing experience of the divine. And so you're just like Genesis 1. You, you say, man, God is big, way larger than I thought. And then you start saying things similar to Genesis 2. Man, God came close and breathed into me. And so that's a normal part of the, the biblical journey. And then on top of that, you start to anchor your faith more and more in the sagas and the rules that you see within the Jesus tradition. And that's great. That's not bad at all. But after a while, you might realize that you've been along in that. And you started to see some BS in yourself or maybe in the others around you. And you're like, you know what? I don't really live by the sagas very well. I don't really live into these rules as well as I could or should. And maybe sometimes I miss the point. Maybe other people around me, they miss the point. And maybe it's really not about the formal religion. And maybe it's more about this divine romance. And so that would be like your own spiritual shift from being a Torah, quote-unquote Torah, spirituality into a prophetic spirituality. Oh, one that raises questions, one that's comfortable calling out the BS, uh, a prophetic faith that is willing to say the uncomfortable truth and maybe cause a little holy havoc. But then you might shift into this other thing where now 
you're starting to have a Ketuvim type of faith. A Ketuvim faith that really involves dialogue and 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 navigating some how, how do we live in this world that does and does not care about the sagas that anchor my faith, that does and does not actually listen to the rules of scripture, that how do we how do we live in this world that's really a constant conversation more than an answer? There's definitely more questions than there are answers. What do I do here? What do we do about this? And that can feel a little disorienting, having a Ketuvim or even Nephaim faith, but it's okay. Everything will be well. Because the next stage is when grace shows up. And that's when you start to have a gospel-oriented faith journey where you start to see, okay, I both do and do not live my life according to the stories of the faith. I both do and do not listen to the rules. I both am wise and unwise at the same time. And so you have a gospel-oriented faith that maybe God comes to you in a different way than at the very start. And so having a gospel-oriented faith also kind of shifts you into this interesting new space of relating to the world around you with more graciousness than you used to. Because maybe you relate to yourself in a better way as well. So that's interesting, having a a quote-unquote gospel faith. But what does it mean to maybe have an epistles faith? Epistles is the word for letters. And so what about a letters-oriented faith? Well, that's like like having a conversation again, where you sit back and you actually start to have dialogue with a larger world around you. Maybe you listen to some faith people from other cities or from other churches, and you have kind of a one-sided conversation because you're checking them out on YouTube or on podcasts or in books or something. And then you're starting to have more of a dialogue, not necessarily about what it means to live a life that's anchored in the sagas and the rules, but what does it mean to live a life that's anchored in grace and love? Because that can be really tricky. That can be really messy. And ethics are always contextual. The same rule may not apply across the board to everyone. Because everybody's different. Everyone's family is different. Not everyone has gone through the same uh, experiences or tragedies or glories or triumphs or setbacks. So ethics in light of grace and love and truth, that's an epistles-oriented faith. Now, I left the book of Rev at the end, Revelation, because what does it mean to have a faith that has matured? From, from God is big to God is close to having a faith that's completely grounded in sagas and rules, or now a faith that's grounded in throwing some furniture around and calling yourself and others out for their BS 
and how they approach being religious. Maybe you start, you've already matured through and now you're having very wise conversations with people and you're realizing life is more of a question mark than it is a set of answers. And maybe you've already started to see that, okay, yeah, grace, love, truth, wonderful. How do I do that with other people? And then you start asking questions about the end of everything. What is the goal of, of spirituality? Well, let's talk about bookends. The Hebrew scriptures start in a garden. God creates a garden. And then he creates humanity, and humanity joins him in the garden. And then it seems as though they botch it. And then in chapter 4, humanity starts killing each other. Cain kills Abel, and then Cain goes off and founds the first human city in biblical narrative. And so gardens were made by God, cities were made by man. And then at the other bookend of the Bible, at the very end of Revelation, we have a city, a new Jerusalem, that, get this, has a tree and a garden in the midst of it. And so what started off as a journey of seeing God and humans as not opposite, but not necessarily fitting together well in Genesis 1 through 4, the two of them fit very well together at the end of the Bible in a holy garden city that's kind of Eden as it should have been and the city of Cain as it should have been. And so the the biblical journey is about going through these stages, I guess you could say, this roadmap, until you finally get to this place where God and man dwell in shalom and harmony, in a beautiful garden city, where God and man are cohabitants, but also co-creators, that they have together reached the goal. <laughs> And so we have here this movement in the way that the Bible is actually organized because how the Bible starts isn't how it finishes, and it seems as though the Bible is actually organized and set up in a way that it goes through Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, Gospels, and letters, and then finally Revelation at the end. It's almost as though the, the ordering of the Bible is kind of taking you from where you start and inviting you into the next page, into the next thought, into the next paradigm, into the next framework, into the next way of looking at faith and self and the world and others and God and love and joy and peace and truth and goodness and liberation and freedom and harmony and shalom and a garden city that finishes everything. So maybe in the midst of this, you didn't really um, connect with the first episode in this series. We talked through Dante Alighieri's epic poem with Dante being led through hell and purgatory and heaven. And maybe you didn't jive quite with the last episode, which had the critical journey of faith. Well, here is my own invention the biblical journey. Maybe this one, maybe you see yourself in one of these five states. Maybe 
you see Jesus in the midst of all of them, but you kind of say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty, pretty Torah person about Jesus. I'm, I'm really about the stories. I'm really about the rules. Or maybe you're a Jesus-oriented person. You're really about some upheaval and some havoc like the prophets. Maybe you really enjoy conversations about wisdom. Maybe you really enjoy being incarnate grace and love as much as you can in this life, and that's good too. Maybe you really enjoy dialogue with other Christians from other areas that maybe have a slightly different angle than you. But I think as long as we're making progress towards the end goal or worldview that says, hey, God and man are no longer apart from each other. And that garden city can start happening now within you and around you if you start to actually believe that you and God can exist without any animosity, conflict, or separation. And instead say, no, we dwell together. Just like the Eden that should have been and just like the city of Cain that should have been. So this has been the biblical journey. This is about trying to understand the maturity process through the organizing of the books of the Bible and why they are in a particular order rather than a different order. So maybe it's been helpful. And if it has been, that's what, that's great. But I think it's important to know it's always easier to keep growing if you even know what the next stage might be. If you can figure out what is the next thing that mayhaps you should go towards or walk into. So that's it. That's a short one, I guess, for today. Well, it's 25 minutes. We'll see how it goes. But it's been a privilege. Hopefully this has been helpful to you and maybe you can actually see yourself in one of these things. Hit me up on Twitter and uh, if you want, go through and check out the link to the card that I put here and find me on YouTube too. All right. So we'll catch you later. May grace and peace be with you.